Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, July 1st, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, a rare kind of legislative endorsement, a state house candidate is a January 6er, Reynolds' plan for abortion restrictions, and Nikki Haley talks 2024 at Randy Feenstra's fundraiser. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Good morning, Aaron. You know, uh, Joel Embiid is a sixer every month of the year and not just a January sixer. (laughs) Trust the process. Trust the process. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dormant. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And making his podcast debut, please welcome Caleb McCullough, the new Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. Welcome, Caleb. Good morning. Longtime listener, first-time caller. Glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how this typically works. If you care enough to call in, we just put you on the show. (laughs) All right. Well, we got a lot to get to, and we got a full uh, roster of folks uh, talking here today. So let's jump uh, right into it. First up this week, a Republican is endorsing a Democrat in a campaign for the Iowa legislature. Now, I'm going to repeat that and maybe even say it a little more slowly this time. Just so you know, you did not mishear me. Do not adjust your podcast dial. A Republican is endorsing a Democrat in a campaign for the Iowa legislature. There, I, I said it slowly so you didn't have to go back and play it at half speed just to be sure. So some background here. Jared Klein is a retiring Republican member of the Iowa House, and in the Iowa Senate district in which Klein lives, there are two incumbents seeking that seat. They were drawn together by redistricting, and Klein, again, a Republican, is endorsing the Democrat in that Senate campaign, Kevin Kenney, instead of endorsing the Republican, Don Driscoll. Tom, you wrote about this. You talked to Klein in And Kenny, Senator Driscoll was a little less eager to talk about this one. I think I speak for most people when I offer this question to you. Um, What? (laughs) Yeah, um, it it certainly was surprising um, considering Klein has never endorsed Kenny before um, for any of his other, um, you know, election or or reelection campaigns. And... um, so, and again, you know, extremely rare that a sitting Republican would endorse a Democrat over a fellow Republican incumbent. Um, and it becomes even more noteworthy when you consider that Klein is a former member of the Iowa Republican Party's state central committee. So I talked to Klein and he said that, you know, he fully expects some criticism from within the party for endorsing Kenny. Um, he said that, there might be some blowback, but he's prepared for that. And that the reason why he decided to uh, endorse Kevin Kenny is because of uh, Kenny's willingness to work across the aisle with Republicans. Um, Klein, a farmer, mentioned working together with Kenny on agriculture and public safety bills. Klein has served as chairman of the House Public Safety Committee. Kenny, a former Johnson County Sheriff's deputy who owns and operates his family century farm, is the ranking Democrat on the Senate Agriculture and Judiciary committees. Klein said that um, Kenny 
does not care about partisan politics. He's committed to doing what's best for his constituents. And again, talked about how he's worked with um, Kenny to bring down costs for farmers, keep Iowans safe in their home communities, um, enhance justice for crime victims. And, you know, this is, I guess, the part that really stood out to me and struck me is, is he, he said, quote, I hope Republicans join me in voting for Kevin Kenny in his reelection. I asked Klein if his endorsement in any way is a reflection of his views on Senator Don Driscoll or Republican leadership in the legislature. And he said that um, his endorsement is in no way a, a reflection of either in that, you know, somebody may view it that way. But again, quote, that's not what I'm doing. He said that the message he's trying to convey is we elect good people to do the job, calling Kenny one of the last Democrats that many Republican lawmakers um, could work with, and said that the legislature is in need of a diversity of thought and in, in that um, the, the legislature needs lawmakers on both sides willing to compromise and not stake out extreme positions. Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman, the statement pushed back on the assertion that Kenny represents a moderate Democratic view uh, within the Iowa legislature and then um, went on to, um, you know, talk about how Don Driscoll um, has always had her her constituents backs. And Tom, I'm going to ask Todd about this, too. But but first, let me just check in with you quick, because you asked the one of the first questions I had is, as I heard about this and I read your story, which is, was this endorsement in, in any way some kind of form of political payback for the governor endorsing um, some of yeah. the challengers to House Republicans, some of the people who Jared Klein worked with and has become close with over the recent years. And, and what did he say when you asked him that? Yeah, you're right. I did ask him that. And he, he said, again, his endorsement is in no way a reaction to um, Republican Governor Kim Reynolds' endorsement of GOP primary candidates who ousted um, three sitting uh, Iowa House Republicans in, in the June 7th primary. Um, there were several key issues that were at play in those races, but um, one of the big ones was um, uh, Reynolds' proposal for taxpayer funding for private school tuition. And Klein said that, you know, he decided to endorse Kevin Kenney a, a while ago, um, you know, prior to any announcement from um, the governor endorsing um primary challengers to, to, to sitting Republican lawmakers, um, and that uh, he did not oppose the governor's private school voucher proposal. Okay, there you go, Todd. Klein says his endorsement has nothing to do with Reynolds endorsing challengers to his colleagues. You buying or selling? Uh, I, I guess I buy that. You know, it may maybe it's in the back of his mind that, you know, the establishment of the party went after people that he worked with, and, and that could have been, you know, maybe just one more reason to go ahead and pull the trigger on it. I mean, he's leaving the legislature. That's probably one of the biggest factors. Everything he said about Kenny is is true. I mean, he is a fairly moderate Democrat who does work with Republicans on those issues involving public safety and agriculture and some other areas. And, uh, you know, is, has a good reputation among some of those Republicans that he's, that he's you know, compromised with. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, he, he's not going to be in the legislature anymore. And he's I don't know that he's going to be on the state central committee very much longer. But, yeah, I, I, I buy his argument. This is someone that he has worked with, thinks does a good job in the legislature and should be returned. Yeah. And, Sorry, and I, I should say former member of the central. Uh, oh, he's former. OK. Central yeah, I didn't I, I didn't know that he was had been on the central committee or was. But, yeah. There you go. So that makes it even easier. He's not on the central committee anymore to be, you know, censured <laughs> as, <laughs> as they like to do for, you know, Brent Olson, the county supervisor here was a Republican and he uh, supported uh, 
Mary Lundy's son, whose name is escaping me. Uh, anyway, he was a Democrat that ran for the House, and uh, Ren Olson supported him, and they kicked him off the Central Committee, and then he switched parties. So There you go. All right. Interesting times. What a time to be a State House Republican. Speaking of which, and speaking of State House elections, a Republican candidate for the Iowa House in a Quad Cities area district is defending her attendance at the January 6, 2021 rally at the U.S. Capitol that turned into a violent insurrection and an attempt to stop the certification of the 2020 presidential election results. Now, this candidate uh, insists she was not there for that reason and did not participate in any of that. But I'll turn it over to you, Sarah. Now, you wrote this story. Tell us more about this candidate and, and what she's saying about being at the Capitol on January 6th. Right. Yeah. So her name's Louina Stoltenberg. She's a candidate for Northwest uh, Davenport District, House District um, 81. And so last week, the Scott County Democrats sent out a press release with screenshots of some personal posts on her Facebook page of her being in Washington, D.C. on January 6th and talking with her and reviewing some other Facebook pages. She was there in Washington, D.C. as part of a prayer group, a women's national prayer group. Um, They set up a stage, had a piano, sang songs, and and as she said, prayed for the nation. And I should uh, emphasize, you know, she didn't go into the Capitol. There's no charges against her. She's stood back, said that she didn't participate in the insurrection. But, um, you know, it's still significant as a public candidate for office. She went to Washington, D.C., question the results of the 2020 election. And so, you know, as elections are coming up, voters are interested in knowing what what their candidates views are on the 2020 election. And, you know, when I talked to her, she also, you know, from her vantage point, she said that, oh, people were friendly with the officers. She uh, she definitely didn't see it as anything more than going to a protest where you're or going to this uh, going to a place where you're you're standing up for what you believe in. And um, obviously, she says she didn't participate in, in, in that uh, violent insurrection. So but that's pretty much what happened. And yeah. And this came up because, in part, her opponent has been raising that in that race, right? So it sounds like the, her opponent wants to make this a, a campaign issue. Am I right about that, Sarah? Yes. Yep. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And um, Sarah, you mentioned in your story, I think, that she hung up when you tried to get more into whether or not she still thinks the uh, 2020 election was fraudulent. Um, has she had any like recent posts or statements that have said anything about that one way or the other? Um, not that I've, not that I've found, but yeah, not, not that I found any like posts or recent statements about the 2020 election, but yeah, like, like Jared said, she did not want to continue our conversation. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll obviously be an interesting uh, story to follow on, on, on that campaign, man. We all, everybody gets hung up in the caucuses and presidential campaigns. These state house elections are where it's at folks Tune, tune into your local level. Uh, also, I should just, as I'm listening to Sarah talk, I was thinking, I, I want to remind all our listeners, uh, all, almost everything we talk about here on the podcast is based on our reporting. If you missed any of these stories, please go back and give them a look. Find these stories on our on our websites and in our in our print editions and and, and check them out. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Um, Aaron, my uh, my reporting is I just go into my mind palace and I just you know conjure up <laughs> all these things. <laughs> And so, so for so for Jared, you'll have to work with him on that. Yes. Uh, we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll 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 give you his email, and 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 you 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 all can figure that out. All right. 
Next up this week, Governor Reynolds unveiled step one of her plan for increasing abortion restrictions in Iowa. On Tuesday, the governor said she will ask the Iowa Supreme Court to rehear a case it just ruled on. Um, and the goal there is to have the court dictate legal standards for future abortion access slash restrictions. And she also asked state courts to lift the injunction on the 2018 law that would ban all abortions after six weeks before many women know they are pregnant. So, Caleb, um, we've been talking on this podcast in recent weeks. Um, Will the governor or will she not call a special session to address this? You heard directly from the governor uh, this week. It sounds like she answered that plan. What 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 did or answered that question? What did she say about her plan and specifically whether it will include a special session of the legislature. Yeah, so Reynolds uh, said she right now has no plans to call a special session. Um, she told reporters on Wednesday uh, she'll continue her efforts in the court to lift the injunction on the heartbeat bill. And then, you know, the other part of that court challenge is the recent decision where, you know, the court still applied the undue burden standard, which now with Roe and Casey overturned, she's trying to get, you know, them to essentially give the legislature more freedom to pass potentially even stricter abortion measures. So she said, you know, we'll see what happens in the courts and go from there, kind of implying that it may be the next step if the court doesn't take up her request or or gives a ruling she's not looking for. And she also didn't say which laws uh, she wants to see the legislature pass if they do go into a session or just even, you know, in January, if they are given a little more freedom in that regard. She just said, you know, we have the heartbeat bill in the books. Let's uh, get that enforced and you know, kind of gave that little and we'll we'll move from there. So kind of gave a little hint that, you know, they might be um, looking for even stricter laws here in the very near future. Yeah, but but bottom line, say as little as possible right now. That basically sounds like the strategy from the governor's office. That seems to be the strategy, yeah. Yeah, and, and even more so from legislative leaders who are not uh, fielding many questions on, on this topic these days. So playing it pretty close to the vest, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I was talking to an expert, a law professor, who said that typically the court has about a couple of weeks to decide on, on uh, requests like this. So we'll know fairly soon what direction those things are headed. And, and then obviously, um, you know, the possible paths diverge depending on what the courts say. So more fodder for future on Iowa politics podcasts. Finally, this week we get to pour Jared's my belt. <laughs> so Jared covered Western Iowa Congressman Randy Feenstra's annual summer fundraiser, and the picnic this year featured Nikki Haley, a former U.S. ambassador to the UN and a potential Republican candidate for president. Jared, what did Haley say about 2024, and especially? And I think I I saw your story. It, and it was interesting to me because the question was sort of phrased around asking Nikki Haley, what will you do in 2024 through the prism of what former President Donald Trump decides to do? Am I right about the phrasing of that discussion? Yeah. And um, and as far as what she said about 2024, she didn't say a whole lot directly. The first question. Uh, yeah. The, the, the first question during like a Q&A after the event was about her running in 2024 and the event organizers immediately asked the reporters to hold off on that question until the end, uh, which I thought was funny. And then when it finally came back up, her answer in part was, if it looks like there's a place for me, 
I'll put 100% in. So again, you know, I'll put 100% in. Is that to helping someone else run? Is that right. putting 100% in to, you know, campaigning yourself? What what does that mean? She, she kind of demurred on that. And then, you know, during the actual speech she gave, she was the, the keynote speaker for the event. She talked after Governor Reynolds and after Marionette Miller-Meeks and uh, Mike Nag and uh, Randy Feenster himself. In, in her speech, there were a couple of the hallmarks of like a presidential candidate's speech. She attacked Biden by name and tried to, you know, draw some contrast with him. But I almost expected more mentions of Biden than we got if it was going to be like that kind of speech. And then she talked about foreign policy for a stretch, which makes sense. She was the former UN ambassador. And that's also something you do if you want people to envision you in the role as president. So again, not just in her answer afterward, but even kind of in the speech, there's a little bit of that hedging as to what the intent of the speech was and why she was there. Yeah. And that first phrase of her answer too was what struck me is if there's a place for me, my my Iowa reporter, especially brain starts working and trying to figure out what she means like by that. And, you know, does that mean only if Trump does not run or does it mean like maybe now? I, I don't know. I mean, did you try to draw read anything between the lines there on that specific phrase, Jared, or am I overthinking it? Yeah. I mean, that does just seem to be the hedge that every Republican potential candidate for president in 2024 is going to have to keep doing until Donald Trump makes up his mind one way or the other definitively. They're going to just have to keep hedging. I don't I don't think anyone wants to be the first one to run out into that arena because, you know, if you do, you're going to get cut at the knees pretty quick if Donald Trump then does decide to run. So yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of hedging from people for a while still. Yeah. Okay. So, so Todd, to that, as Jared alluded to, if there, if Trump runs, I think up until now, we've all have pretty much said that he clears the Republican field by a country mile. But, but I'm just wondering what you think about this, Todd, because I've been thinking about this. Have the public hearings from the U.S. House's January 6th investigative committee changed that at all? I mean, do you think there's any chance that Republicans see some weakness now in Trump that maybe he's not the automatic candidate if he decides to run? Or am I over, you know, stating the the impact that these hearings have had? Well, first I want to say, I think it was maybe Sarah's story about Nikki Haley, where she said that if we don't win in 2022, there won't be a 2024. And I I want to know exactly what she knows about the end of the world. I think she <laughs> needs to be asked about that because that's a little bit troubling. As for the hearings, yeah, I think they I think they've definitely made some dents you know, the Cassidy Hutchison testimony this past week was was pretty extraordinary. I mean, I think there are there are Republicans that are thinking, well, Trump's got a, a ton of baggage and who knows what's going to happen legally in all of this. And but there are candidates like, you know, Ron DeSantis, who basically uh, will lead like Trump, but don't have all of that stuff. Right. Kind of. And, and I. You're starting to, I mean, I think there was a really small poll in New Hampshire that showed DeSantis in first place, and I think he won a straw poll somewhere. I mean, you're, you're starting to see the possibility that, that Republicans are going to move on from Trump himself, but Trumpism in another form with another candidate would be acceptable to them. So uh, I'm, I'm really starting to doubt a little bit whether Trump will actually run, because I don't think he can take losing again, and I, I just... You know, the hearings have changed the dynamics, and I think there are more Republicans that are like, well, maybe we should hear out some other candidates and see if we can find somebody to, that's, that's going to have a better chance. Yeah, and, 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 so, and so here's my thinking on that, because um, Republicans, 
and I'm talking about now voters and even even Trump supporters, maybe to a certain extent, see a Democratic president that has terrible approval numbers and is by all means, all measurable means at this point anyways, vulnerable. But Donald Trump, if he's the candidate, they, they have to see the writing on the wall. And that is very possible, if not likely, that if he is the candidate, he would lose another general election, given that he didn't win in 2020. And now he's got even more baggage than he did then. And so do you run the risk of, as a party, putting this guy up again and, and losing the White House for another four years? It, it just makes me wonder if that emboldens more voters to start talking about considering another candidate and wanting to move on from Donald Trump and, and more candidates than sensing that and maybe being more willing to step forward and put themselves out there. I, I mean, this is all kind of, uh, you know, just my thoughts and curiosities at this point. There's no tangible necessarily evidence of this yet, well, but I just can't help but wonder if, if we're starting to reach a crest here. I was just going to 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 throw this out there to, to the points that um, Aaron was making. Um, uh, I think the AP yesterday released um, results of a new poll that, saw, that found, excuse me, um, about half of Americans say that Trump should be charged for um, the January 6th insurrection. Now, as you would imagine, it splits along party lines, but 48% of U.S. adults, according to the poll, say that the former president um, should be charged with the crime for his role, while about 31% um, say he shouldn't be charged. You know, I think it is interesting um, looking at the, 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 the party breakdown, of course, you know, about 86% of Democrats, um, but only 10% of Republicans say that Trump should be charged with a crime. You know, again, among the Republicans, 68 percent say shouldn't be charged. Twenty one percent say they didn't know. But there is a, a, a sizable, I guess, or a significant percentage of Republicans um, that say that Trump does bear some sort of responsibility for the attack on the Capitol. But then also the other thing, if Trump does decide to run in 2024, it, it's going to be a, a campaign that just is going to continually be looking back to 2020 as opposed to to, to to looking forward, right? You know, running a running a Trump campaign, you know, the only thing anybody ever is going to be talking about, the only thing that Trump is ever going to be talking about is how he lost in 2020. And it just, it seems like, like a, like a odd campaign and an odd candidate to 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 get behind if you're a Republican trying to make the argument to the electorate that that we need a change in leadership right that, that we need somebody else in, in in the White House if if constantly all you're talking about is hey this guy lost back in 2020 remember you know the guy that's in the the White House right now you know defeated this guy and now he anyway it, it just it, it 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 it's it's bizarre to me. I do think that the last number of years have kind of shown us, though, that what significant number of Republican voters want, they're going to get it, no matter what the party like thinks or cares about. Going all the way back to 2016, they didn't. The party didn't want Trump. They they were terrified of the prospect of having them as the nominee. But that's what the voters wanted, and that's what they got. And if they want it again in 2024, I think they'll get it. And what happens if? Uh... What happens if Republicans start to coalesce around stronger candidates? What do Democrats do? I mean, there's already a lot of whispering out there that says, hey, maybe Joe Biden's not the guy that should be leading us into 2024. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Now, you don't hear any you don't hear anybody actually 
talking about running or visiting early states, although with the Democrats, who knows who their early states are going to be because they haven't figured it out yet. But yeah, it's so there's nothing like no major movements, but it's out there. And if, 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 he, if he takes a, as expected, you know, really gets clobbered in the midterms, you know, and Ron DeSantis looks is, looks like a front runner and someone who could, could be become president and, and actually policy wise for Democrats might be worse than Donald Trump. I mean, what do you do? Do you stick with, with Joe or do you, you know, trade him in? Yep. I, I agree. That'll be interesting too. And and Jared, just to um, finish on your, I agree. And I want to make clear. So the party, as you alluded to, they, they've, and they've proven they're willing to go along with anything. They've proven they're willing to stand in the corner of a president who literally tried to overturn an election. So there's no doubt about whether or not they're going to stand in Donald Trump's way. I'm more interested in the voters themselves, you know, the Republican voters and whether there starts to become some concern about, hey, if we, if this is our guy again, we're going to lose again. I don't know that that'll happen. I, I'm not predicting it'll happen. I just wonder if that writing on the wall will, will start to become more apparent as these hearings uh, continue. And I mean, I know there's a segment of the population out there that's either not tuning into these at all or has their fingers stuck in their ears. But I think there are just enough that are paying attention to them and who genuinely want a Republican to be president. And it's maybe not as important whether or not that's Donald Trump to them. I just wonder if we'll start to see that sea change a little bit. I, and maybe it won't. It, it very well might not. I, I don't know. If it does happen, you can rest assured we will talk about it on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. See how I do that every week? It's so much fun. That's it for this week's edition. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts, and send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com or to Jared's Mind Palace. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, Make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll get all the latest politics and government coverage from our whole team here. You can subscribe to that On Iowa Politics newsletter at thegazette.com. And don't forget, as I mentioned during the podcast, you can find the work of everyone you heard here today on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. The Surf Zombies will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For the full roster, Tom, Caleb, Jared, Sarah, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.